Well, church family, good to be back with you again. You know, last week I was telling you we had had grandkids and Priscilla and I had done our thing. Well, guess what? On Wednesday morning, I took her to Kansas City and uh, she is in uh, Istanbul, Turkey right now as I'm here. And you know what? I don't like batching. I'm trying now. When she comes now, you all got to be, let's be friends, okay? Don't tell her everything I'm going to tell you. I miss her cooking. She, uh, she did good. I mean, I had all the leftovers, and I even wrote her a little text this morning. I said, hey, guess what? I'm celebrating the memories of when you made it the first time. I'm getting to enjoy it the second time. But uh, it's, she's doing good stuff. So I, I tell her, and what I want to tell you is it's worth being a part Okay, because she's over there investing in the lives of our four grandchildren and the pictures that I'm not getting in on while they're in the swimming pool or while they're hanging out together. She's south of Istanbul, uh, right on the coast, and they're doing a leadership training where our daughter and son-in-law, he's responsible for a valley in a Central Asian Muslim country, and he's a water engineer and does everything he can to get in those villages and uh, just to live the good news of Jesus that we get to talk about here, but, uh, you know, they have to do it in a different way there. So anyway, it's good to be with you. You're kind of some regularity in my life, driving down here and getting to be an emporia with you, and uh, she'll be back. She comes in on Thursday night pretty late, and uh, so we'll, she'll be with me, I hope, next Sunday, sitting right there. Well, you all, if you've got your Bibles, we are back in Ephesians chapter 1, and, you know, every week I talk to you about words. Well, this, this week's a big one. Uh, it's an interesting word, predestined, or he predestined us, and that whole concept of predestination. And so, if you would stand, I want to read for you uh, this longest sentence in the New Testament. I don't... Th- I w- we're just going to keep reading it until we get done with this, the rocket verbs that we're going through. And so here's what Paul from his prison cell bubbles up out of his heart about who is the Lord. So let's listen to what he has to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us In Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be blameless and holy before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and until, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessing. And Father, we thank you for this man who locked up, able to think and to process who you are, has given us this, this long flood of description of what you're like. Father, I pray today your word would speak. We invite you to be with us in your power and in your simplicity and in your word. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You all be seated. Well, that first verb, those rocket verbs that uh, as Paul is just thinking about who the Lord is, he sends one off. So this is our third one. That first one that he sent off is that he is a blesser. God's the one, he blesses us. And then last week, we reviewed that not only he blesses us, even as he blesses us, that first blessing is that he chose us in him so that we could be, his purpose is that we would be holy and blameless. And I was just so encouraged of what he's doing through this, his body in Emporia, Kansas, just a little pause. I want you to know, I love that interstate. I'm coming down that interstate every Sunday morning. It's just becoming a habit. I'm watching how the ag is changed. That corn's getting good and tall. The wheat's long gone. And just seeing what's going on in this community, knowing that this is where you live. And I'm a visitor. I drive down into this part of Kansas and just pray for you. Because I don't know where all your houses are. I know a few of you. But I just thank the Lord for what he's doing through this, his body. As he's chosen you to be holy and blameless. That's his purpose. He's working in our hearts so that we reflect him with all the diversity of this room. Now that's to his glory. We can't, there's no way we could put that, all those pieces together to who we are for him to get glory out of it. But that's what he's up to. And so last week, if you were following your Bible, probably I left two words out because I chose not to include in love. So this morning, that's where I want us to start. Because some translations say that in love, he, he purposed for us to be holy and blameless in love before him. But I want to, because it's in Greek... And the word order is not the same as our word order. I want to start with the fact that it begins with his love for mankind. For God so loved the world. I've told you all about my first day, my first real beginning, my faith with him. January 22nd, 1972, about 3.30 in the afternoon. One of the questions that Joel Schmidt asked me in the K-State Union was he read that verse to me and he said, John, when the Bible says that for God so loved the world, who's he talking about? Is he talking about rocks, trees, animals? He said, no. He's talking about people. And guess what? You qualify. For God so loved 
you that he sent his only begotten son. That's the context. Let's put that envelope around what we're getting ready to talk about today. Because in love, before him, we are holy and blameless. But then, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And so that envelope of in love, we get this unusual word, predestined. Now, there's some of you in this room that uh, you've studied this word a lot. Predestination, determinism. Is there a God who puts a blueprint for every one of our lives that we are destined for all the events in life? Well, I want to say, looking at, well, let me tell you the background of the word. I didn't know this until studying it this time. Do you realize the first time in Greek, the language that this is written in, Aramaic Greek, the first time in Greek literature you can find the word predestined or predetermined is with Paul? Now, I like that. I like that a lot. Because what that tells me is that Paul, in that prison cell, with plenty of time to think through who he is in Christ. Who is, who is this loving Heavenly Father that sent his son to redeem Paul from being the number one Pharisee of the Pharisees, the top dude in the class, the, the, the Supreme Court choice, the top guy, for him to realize that God had a, a plan and a purpose that was different than what he'd studied. The mystery of what God was up to through Christ what God was up through, through everything that he'd done to bring Jesus here, he's thinking about that in prison. And he said, there's a concept, I want to put a pencil to it. I want to, I want to write, predestined. Now, it's built off the word, okay, ranchers, I'm here for you today. It's built off of a word that touches anybody who's got pasture in those Flint Hills. It's built off the word, Destination. And it means that without a limit, without a fence around where you run your cattle, you want that destination. You want that place that has been predetermined of that's mine. I can put my cattle out there and I know they're not going to go on the neighbor's range. God has predestined, he's designed a destination and he did that before the foundation of the earth was laid. And so we have an intentional blesser who chooses us in him and predestines us to something. So it's in that envelope of love that we have God wanting to destine us for a destination. And this is where I think we miss it. If you, if you take the next phrase away from that, God's predestined, look and see what he's predestined us for. He predestined us for adoption. Now, Jason and Lisa aren't here today, but y'all, we all get in on little Sammy. I don't know if, if Sammy's for you like he is for me, but uh, we've... You know, they've adopted a child, and I know there's others, as I get to know the church family, there's others of you that have adopted. 
But you go, you hang around with Jason at least very long, you discover that Sammy's treated just the way those two girls are. Sammy's part of the family. And the, the task, the challenge of adopting and bringing this one that was not a part of what we had as a family, we were bringing this one in and making a special place at the table, a special place in family memory. That's where they're at today. They're down with Jason's parents. They're having a little family vacation. And guess what? I'll guarantee you Sammy's at the table. And I'll guarantee you Sammy's in the boat. And Sammy's going to have all kinds of stories, and I can't wait to see him and sit down and just have a little Sammy, Sammyite come at me because that little dude is a part. And so let's go back to what Paul's saying. Paul says, in love, in that envelope of God's love for us, he predestined, he had, a, he had a place before the foundation of the earth was laid. He had a place, a relationship that he wants us to have, and that is to be adopted as sons. And by the way, that's an inclusive gender word, sons and daughters. We would say it in English today. He adopted us as sons and daughters. Now, that's his plan. That happened before you and I were aware of it. And I don't know about you, but if there's sometimes things happen that I wish I understood more about, I can't, I can't control it. I don't really, it's hard to get my mind around the fact of his intention and what he's up to before I existed. But the results of that are twofold, I think. First of all, to hear that God in this envelope of love has determined that he wants to adopt you and he wants to adopt us into a relationship with him that brings adoration. Now for Paul to be locked up and thinking about what he could face, what's coming his way, and yet have his heart turn towards adoration and worship. Y'all, I just want to submit that that's a great thing for every one of us in this room. I mean, we got all of us. I have a phrase back when I was just getting out of college. Here's my little phrase. Life is hard. There's some things that come about in life. They're just, you didn't expect it. It's not easy. It's not fun to have happening to you. Oh, guess what? Paul was right there with you. And yet what we get from watching and listening and just thinking about Paul's heart is Paul's heart turns from what he could be complaining about. Guess what? That prison's not comfortable. You know, that's just hewn out rock. He's probably, you know, those Roman prisons weren't nice. They were not friendly. Like our prisons are not bad. You all saw, Mon what's, what's this prison guy who just got locked up? One of Trump's guys. You know, they're complaining because he doesn't get what he used to get. He doesn't get his own computer and he doesn't get a, a private shower and he doesn't get something else. I just love it. That's our jail system. Well, let's just go back a few centuries. And Paul's not talking about that. Paul's chained up. He's in where there is no toilet. It's just right down there in that rock and that, the filth of a Roman prison. And yet, because of who God is to him, his heart turns towards worship. Now, I want that for myself. I mean, okay, I'm batching. I'm not getting good. I'm not getting my normal every day. Uh, life's a little different. You know, all the little things that come our way, we get the opportunity 
of getting our heart right towards him who in love, in love predestined us before we even thought about it for a relationship with him. It's all about that destination, that, that pasture he wants to put us in is a family relationship. So first is adoration. And then second is my attention. So if I adore the Lord, then I have the opportunity of getting my focus on what he's up to in the context of a family relationship. And so we're predestined for adoption as. You know what Paul didn't write? And he could have done this. Now you stop and think about who's the dude writing the letter. He's the number one rock star of the Jewish faith. He could have said, God's predestined for you to be workers. Come join us. Get in on the work that needs to be done. And Paul understands a lost world a tremendous amount. But that's not where we start. We're not predestined. Our pastor, the place that he's wanting us to be into, that destination, is not a room full of workers. Now, I talked to you about working. I talked to you about what God wants to do through you. But guess what? That's not where we start. It starts with family. It starts with He is our Father. If Him is my Father, guess what, fellas? That means you and I are brothers. And just like in my family, I have a little, every now and then I kind of bump into things with my brother. Uh, we have some issues, you know, we just family. Or sisters. He's, he's, he's defined. My relationship with you, and that is to treat you as a sister with respect and all that I, I have for my sister. So he didn't call us workers. The second thing, he did not say, you are predestined for, and that is students. He didn't call this room to be a room full of students. Now, good grief, we, we're, we're listening to the number one student. It's Paul himself. And he didn't say that that's God's plan. Now, I'll guarantee you he wants us to study to show ourselves approved as a faithful workman who can handle this word of truth. So yes, there's study involved. Pouring over this. Spending time in this book every day. I hope that's part of your life. If it isn't, I invite you to, to start up a reading plan where you hear his word every day. But that's not where he started to call you. He called you a child. He called you a son and daughter. He appointed you at that beginning relationship. So he didn't call us to be workers. He didn't call us to be students. And the last thing I want to mention is he didn't call us to be soldiers. You know, there's a battle going on. In fact, Paul's going to talk about it in the last part of Ephesians in chapter 6, where we're going to stand up against the the plans and the intention of the evil one. Jesus told the disciples, he says, for the thieves come to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come so that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. There is a battle going on. There's a battle going on in our culture. There's a battle going on all around us, in, in your own head, in your own heart. The battle of what it is to be following him and in the temptation to be away from that. But y'all, he didn't call us to be soldiers. He called us to be children. 
And so these other roles that we have of being a worker, being a student, being a soldier, those are secondary. Those are off to the side. Yes, he's going to use us in those kind of roles. But I believe what will keep us in a solid relationship is doing just, is believing, is embracing, is receiving just what he said about us. That in love, he predestined us for a family relationship, adoption as sons and daughters, and in the last part of the verse, according, according to the purpose of his will. A purposed will, loving father. Now, we get to see the purpose of his will in creation. We get to enjoy it. I mean, I don't know about you, but my favorite time of the day, my favorite time of the day is just a few minutes before sunrise. And this morning, I didn't, you know, I don't have to get here really early. So before the sun got up, I was on my back porch and I just had my cup of coffee and my Bible. And that purposed will of a loving father who created those turtle doves and that one mockingbird and those trees that I was looking at, you know, I just thanked him. He's very, very purposeful. He's not random. No, our loving Heavenly Father, that blesser who chose us and has predestined us for that relationship with him, I want to assure you that the God who's above it all is purposeful. You don't catch him by surprise. And his intention for every one of us is for his arms to get around our hearts in that family relationship because according to the purpose of God's will. Now, we've lived long enough in this room, there's some of you that have earned your white hair like, yeah, there's several of you, kind of white, not much left. And living this long, you've experienced things that are not good. Today in Nairobi, Kenya, at Ros, uh, I, I don't want to get emotional here, at Roslyn Academy, there is a grave. The grave of Ben Perkins is on that school. Ben was my son's best friend. Uh, we were appointed with the Perkins family. They went to Malawi, we went to Zambia. We were only about 60 miles apart. Ken and Beth really worked hard with the people of northern Malawi, and while they were working, Ken got malaria so bad that the doc said, if you get malaria one more time, it'll be fatal. You can't get bitten by that mosquito. You gotta get out of malaria country. And so Ken and Beth moved to South Africa and worked among the Kai people down in a country that doesn't exist today, Transkai. And from there, God really called Ken. Some of you know the movie, The Insanity of God. That's Ken. That's Nick. Nick Ripkin is how we know him. Ken sensed God's leadership and he moved up to Nairobi. And in Nairobi, that's where we were. We both got transferred to Nairobi at the same time. And so Ben, who's my son's age, Nate, Ben and Nate, I mean, they were together almost every day. But Ben had an issue, and that issue was asthma. Now, Nairobi, we call it the perfect climate. I mean, literally, year-round. We have a window open in our house. Every room in our house has got one open window. God air conditions Nairobi. 
I mean, it's perfect. The coldest day of winter is probably about 55, and the hottest day of summer is about 85. And so it's just a great place to live. But at those Brits, they know where to put cities. It's right there in this mountain. We're at the foot of the mountains. It's just a great place. But in that, cult, in that climate, there's a lot of rain. There's a lot of mold. And people with asthma don't do well with the mold in Nairobi. And we were down on the coast the last time we were in Mombasa with Ben and Nate. And ben had an asthma attack about 2 in the morning. And Ben woke Nate up. They were in a little, they were not hotel rooms, they were little huts we were staying in. He threw batteries until he woke Nate up, and Nate called me and said, Dad, there's something really wrong with Ben. Ben couldn't walk. I carried Ben down to the, the lobby, and God's grace, God's provision, there was a Sikh doctor who was new asthma well on the coast, because a lot of people get asthma, who are asthmatic, and have an asthma attack on the coast. And he put an IV in him and a muscle thing in him and watched his heart, watched his blood pressure and his breathing. And within those two drugs, back and forth, over about an hour, Ben came out of it. The next time Ben had an asthma attack was Easter Sunday morning in Nairobi. We had a big rainstorm. It was the first rain of the rainy season. So all those mold, all that mildew, all that stuff had been kind of just there and when the rain stirred it up, it got in the air. And Ben had an asthma attack. He didn't make it through. And to get to walk with Ken and Beth through the loss of a son and buried that child at our school, I want you to know that Part of the process in me was realizing that there is a loving, purposeful Heavenly Father that has a will. And God's will is relationship. And that's that relationship that I know Ben had. I heard Ben. Ben was at my kitchen, my kitchen table. And we would we'd talk about faith. And I, I mean, I, know, I knew Ben's heart a little bit. Pretty close. My son's best friend. As you're trying to figure out what is faith for a junior high kid and a high school boy. And so some people will, will take that event and say, God's will. God's will. Well, right here Paul's talking about the purposeful will of God. And that purposeful will of God is not for Ken and Beth to suffer. Not for Ken and Beth to be defined by the loss of a 13-year-old child. The purpose of God's will is adoption into his family so that he's with them. You know, we don't know everything before creation, and I'll guarantee you right now, none of us know eternity. We only get a look through it at just a foggy glass. But by faith, can we embrace what Paul has got on his heart, that there is a purposeful, loving father who his plan is adoption. And to get to adoption, he had to send a son who would take what separates us from that plan and that sin to take that sin that every one of us have and bear that sin right there. So that we can now walk into that purposeful relationship. And so let me take us to a place where we get to watch Jesus talk about it. If you've got your Bibles, 
turn to John chapter 4. Now, last week I let you out early. I'm going to try to lay in this puppy, but I'm going to talk about my favorite New Testament experience of Jesus because they're rookies. John chapter 4 takes place. It's a woman at the well, okay? But there's a whole, this is in a context of experience of the disciples. So, They've been down to Jerusalem for the first time as Jesus has got disciples, and he's trying to teach them what's on his heart and what his job is to come and save the world. They're not getting it. And in fact, they, you know, last week we talked about Peter on the lake. So this is the very first of Peter's walking with Jesus. And last week we talked about him at the very, after the resurrection. So we got a newbie here. And I like that because I'm a newbie. I've been a newbie. I know what it's like to not know. I know what it's like to be called in and try to do something I don't get and uh, all of that. So I just love watching Jesus work in John chapter 4. So they're in Jerusalem. They go down on the river and they meet John the Baptist and something begins to happen. People start coming to Jesus more than they were coming to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist handled it pretty good. That's where he says, you know, this guy's got to increase more in me, and I'm going to decrease. This guy's the one that I'm not even fit to tie the, his sandals up. And so the, they're baptizing, and word of that gets up into Jerusalem, into the leadership ears. And guess what happens in the first part of John 4? He says, we're going back home. We're not going to stay here. This is not the time for it to be a big deal. You guys have been baptizing. People are hearing about it. Let's go home. The first thing, John 4, 4. Look at that verse. It is a great verse, and it's just a little tiny. It's an editorial comment written 60 years after it happened. And John says, we had to go through Samaria. Now, y'all, that means something. Because if you are going to go from down in Jerusalem, and you're going to go up to Galilee, if you're going to go up to Nazareth and Capernaum and all those towns in the north, guess where I-70 is, or I-35? I-35, the way to go is by the river. You ignore Samaria. You stay out of town, stay out of Samaria. And I love that John says, no, we had to go through Samaria. Now that's intentionality. Jesus knew, I've got a bunch of newbies here. i got some guys, and I'm going to train them on what I'm up to. Now, I don't think, you know, how much knowledge does Jesus have when he gave up, he gave up being God to become a man? That's a whole huge subject to debate. Did Jesus know the woman was going to be there? I don't know. But guess what? She was. So they go until noon, and they're up to Jacob's well. And because it's noon, And the guys go into town and buy tacos. They're going in to get some good food. And they're out there. And Jesus stays by the well. And there's a woman out there. So we've got an intentionality about Jesus. Now we've got the relational Jesus. I love this part. He's just sitting there by the well. And he says to the woman, she's got a bucket, she's got a rope. He says, could you give me a drink of water? And that woman says, what? Dude, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans don't talk to each other. Why are you asking me for a drink of water? Jesus, he'll break, he'll break norms. He'll break things to get to people. 
He's looking at this woman, and this woman deserves knowing the truth about who he is. So he asked her for a drink of water. He doesn't start preaching at her. He just said, would you give me a drink of water? And after, after she says, who are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water, he says the next thing about relationship. And that's in John 4, 10. If you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is sitting here, lady, if you knew that, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. Now let that soak in. You see, Jesus is identifying to a woman who's totally different. Number one, she's a woman. Number two, she's got a bad history. Number three, she's a loner. And he said, lady, if you knew. You see, that's on God's heart. God wants every one of us, every one of us, whether they're in this, we're in this room or all of Emporia, he wants us to know him. He said, lady, if you knew the gift of God, he already knows who he is. He's God's gift to mankind. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who's sitting here, lady, I'll guarantee you, you'd be asking me for a drink of water. Well, now let's go back to reality. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have a bucket. Jesus doesn't have a rope. And she looks at me and says, you idiot, what are you talking about? How are you going to get a drink of water? You don't have anything to get water with. And he says, oh, no, no, no. The water from this well that you drink today, you're going to get thirsty again. But the water I've got is going to be like a spring, a well that's bubbling up inside of your heart. And you'll never be thirsty again. A lady looks at him and says, what are you talking about? Man, if you got that kind of water, I want a drink of water. I want, yeah, I want what you got. Now watch what Jesus does. She's a single woman. She's out there. And was he, he looks her right in the face and he says, lady, go get your husband. And come back, and we'll talk about water, my water. Now, here's where we're talking about an intentional God. We're talking about a relational God. And you're watching God now touch a broken life. And what does she say? She says, sir, I don't have a husband. And what does Jesus say? Lady, you've told me the truth. Now, church family, let me tell you, right there, right there. That is the key spot in this whole story. It's, in fact, I think it's the key spot of God with us. We get honest, and he knows. Now, how in the world does he know what he's getting ready to say? I don't know. This is one of the things I can't wait to heaven, because I'm going to ask. I'm going to watch this one on videotape. I can't wait to find this one out. But he knows. And the way he knows is the Holy Spirit. You know, he and God, he is listening to the Father's will in the split second. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, lady, you're telling me the truth. You've already had five husbands. And the dude you're living with right now is not your husband. Y'all just let that soak in a little bit. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus identify us where we are. We are broken people. And Every one of us in this room, he could come and sit at your, your lunch table. And if you get honest with him, he'll say, yeah, you're right. I know. I know what you did. I've known it all along. I watched you do it. Yes, you are broken. 
And so we don't have any more. All we have is him telling her the truth. Now, let me tell you, I've told you I learned a little bit about fire in Africa. I've learned a little bit about drawing water, that women at noon at the well, those are women that don't have a relationship with others because you get water in the morning. Every village in Africa got water this morning, not at noontime because of heat. It's more comfortable and the whole village goes out to get water. That's just part of the day. So she's out there by herself. Here's the other thing I learned. Divorce. Not in our culture, but in the African culture. I'll guarantee you, if there's a woman who's had five husbands and she's moved in the villages, nobody knows who has a husband number one. Nobody. Her and husband number one. And she's gone through five of them. And so I think, in reality, there is no living person beside herself who knows she's had five husbands. She's moved around enough. That would be what it was in Africa, because once you've gone through a divorce, if a man leaves you, you've got to go. You're out of that village, you go to another one. You may go to family, or you're going to go somewhere else. And that story gets built inside of her, but the rest of the community doesn't know it. And so when she is confronted with the reality of who she is, she jumps on something that all of us do. She says, I see you're a prophet. Now she's going to start to compare. We Samaritans, man, well, I know prophets. We Samaritans believe that this is the right place to worship. It's on this mountain right here at this place where God worked with Abraham. And you Jews, you're, you're, you think Jerusalem's the, the key city. Let's argue a little bit. Let's get off the subject about my broken life. And Jesus is so good. He says, lady, guess what? It's not about place. It's really not. Because the day's coming where it doesn't matter whether you worship here on this rock and this place, or like everybody in the world thinks, all the Jews think that Jerusalem is the place to worship. He says, no, the day is coming and it's already here. There, the kingdom of God is in him. Boom, right there. It's here. I'm bringing it. It's you worship God in spirit and in truth. And lady, I'm talking to you about truth. And that truth is, are you willing to admit that you're a broken woman. Now, without saying those words, she looks at Jesus and she said, you know what? We're looking. It's verse 425. She says, I know a Messiah is coming. And we're looking forward to him being here to tell us what we don't know. And now verse 26. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you, this one sitting right here by this well, the guy that's talking to you right now, I am he. The book of John is written on those two words, I am. And this is the first time he says it. He says, I am he. I'm that Messiah. You people that don't even come to Jerusalem, you people that aren't in, my, in the Jewish family, the one you're looking for, I am he. Now, family, number one, God is intentional. Before the foundation of the world, he predestined us for adoption. Number two, he's relational. He'll meet you where you are. And don't, you don't have to do it in front of everybody. You know, confess it up and all that. There's, you know, of course, Scripture says it's good to confess your sin to a brother. 
But God wants you to do that with Him. He knows you. And He's relating to you to get you into that adopted relationship with Him. Because the last thing, He is a Redeemer. And He told that lady, He said, Lady, the one you're talking about, that's me. Well, just watch what happens in John chapter 4. She runs into town. In fact, she's so excited, she leaves her bucket and her water. She goes into town and she says, y'all come. Y'all come. I found, I found him. The one we've been looking for. And by the way, you all don't like me. You know, yes, you know my story. You know I'm a, you know I'm a strange lady. But I can tell you what. There's somebody out there that, well, you got to go meet him. And the next verse says, and they came. And when they came, that's a whole nother message about what goes on in that. But for two days, Jesus stayed there with a bunch of Samaritans, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. Now, what I love about that is, first of all, he starts, the first time he says it out of his mouth, it's to a woman. It's not to a man. So, sisters, guess what? We're grateful for you. God created man and woman, and he tells a woman first. That ought to to warm some hearts. Secondly, he tells a woman with a broken life. Five husbands, boy, she's got relationship problems unbelievably. And yet, that's where he goes. He meets her right there. But third, he redeems life. And so today, as we think about predestined, I want to ask you, are you willing to receive his plan for your life? His his plan is that he adopts you as his son and daughter. His plan is a relationship. And that relationship starts just like it did for this lady. And that is that we get honest with him. We agree that we're sinful. We know we are. But we tell him that. We agree with it. We thank him. That's how relationships are. You start a relationship. I believe what you've done. You mean it. You did it. You did take my sin and you put it on that cross. So that I can now relate to you. I want to relate to you. I want to receive that relationship I have from you. That is the foundation of who we are. It's the foundation of this church. The church is a group of people that have done that. Are in that relationship with God individually. And then as a community of brothers and sisters. We're a family. We relate to him and to one another in the way that he tells us how we relate to each other. And so, predestined or destined as sons and daughters. As a son and daughter, as we walk worthy, as we walk balanced with what he's done, we get to walk in humility. I mean, the lady at at the well, everybody knows her life. She's going to, I mean, humility. She can't brag about what good she did. She didn't earn that. Getting the Son of God to come and sit down beside her. That's his work, not her work. And so in humility, she would treat people. We're we're challenged to be humble to one another. Secondly, we're challenged to walk gently. Now here's, I got three minutes. I I can tell you this one. Notice he started With a woman, a Samaritan, he's got a bunch of rookies that are going to give their lives. I mean, here's Peter. Peter had to go buy tacos. He couldn't couldn't even handle this. This this part of Jesus' work is so over his head that Jesus is doing it by himself. And so, 
with that gentleness and that humility that God chose a Samaritan woman to first reveal this, that ought to just help all of us realize that he's at work in ways we don't understand and that we can treat one another with humility, gentleness, and we can be patient because God is working with the disciples in a different way than he worked with the Samaritan woman. But all of it, all of that work of God is to bring us into that relationship where we're humbly broken, we're holy, and we're blameless because of what he does. So church family, I want to invite you. There could be some of you here today that you're still in that process of saying, how much do I believe? What is it about this? I want to ask you, just simply, I'm going to pray here in a second. Just say, God, I believe. I'm beginning to understand enough that I want to believe it. And now that as I begin to believe it, Father, I receive what you want to give. I receive forgiveness. I receive that water that's going to bubble up inside of me. I want that. I want to be in a relationship with you. And that means you get to be the Lord of my life. As I receive what you've done, I want to follow you. I want to invite you to pray that. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reality of your predetermining that we need relationship with you, that we've been predestined for adoption into your family. Father, I thank you that uh, you do that in so many different ways. You communicate to the diversity of people in this room. And for that, we praise you. Father, today, we as a people, we just say, we agree with you that we are. We're separated from you because of our sin. Help us understand more and more what that means, what that sin is. But, Father, we, want, we believe that you sent your Son, for you so loved the world that you sent your Son, that we could have this relationship. And so, Father, we believe that. We've heard it. We believe it. And so, Father, today, some of us have said this many, many times. We receive But Father, I pray today there's some new who would say today, we, I want to receive from you the gift of eternal life. And Father, we want to follow you as the Lord of our lives and the Lord over this church to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We all being destined. He's a blesser. He chooses and he predestines. And next week, I got, a, I got a word from heaven. So it's a really good word. That's next week. So why don't you stand? Got a benediction for us. It's out of Ephesians. And here's what Paul would say in the rest of his letter. He's, he's done all that, those rocket verbs and all that. Now we get down to Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. And this is what his word would be over all of us. Paul would say, and now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ever ask or think, according to that power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go and be the church.